Please open your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 1, and Kara is going to be reading verses 2, 3, and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word this morning, would you please guide us to cling to the truth? Would you please keep me from error? And would you please glorify yourself in this message as we, your children, are prompted by the Holy Spirit to become more like your Son? We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, rejoicing that we are His. Amen. Have you ever baked cookies? Okay, or brownies or things like that? Okay, some of you are maybe really fancy and you go the, you know, only from scratch, that's the only way to do it. Other people maybe use a boxed mix. Yes, because, yeah, have somebody else do the measuring, right? Um, Either way, whether you go from scratch or whether you use a box, it is important that when you are baking something like cookies that you fully mix the ingredients. This way, the important stuff isn't left settled at the bottom, but is fully incorporated into the recipe. So uh, imagine with me, we are going to be making chocolate chip cookies this morning, okay? Okay. Can you picture it? We're all in a really, really big kitchen. So, and we're going to be fancy. We're going to go from scratch, okay? So we've preheated the oven to 350. We have a bowl. We've added the, the butter and flour, sugar, chocolate chips, vanilla, some eggs. They're all in the bowl. Now, chefs in the room, please prepare your hearts. Okay? We don't stir it at all. Okay? So now we take that unstirred bowl of ingredients and we start putting spoonful after spoonful onto a baking tray and unstirred, it goes into the oven. Okay? After 10 minutes of baking, we open up the oven and oh, the horror... We have burned butter pooling in one corner. We have stuck on chocolate in one corner. We have plain fried eggs basically in one corner. What was going to be a delicious treat has literally turned into a hot mess. And why? Because we didn't, we didn't stir. The heat became a destructive force to that recipe because we... We didn't stir the ingredients. Now today we are toward the tail end of our Fruit of the Spirit series in Galatians 5. We started with self-control and we worked our way backwards. And today we're going to be focused on joy, followed next week by love. Now before we find out what James is teaching us and what it has to do with baking, we're going to first understand what what joy is in the biblical sense. And 
the best way to do that is to distinguish the biblical version of joy from happiness. They're not the same thing. We have to make sure that we separate those in our heads. Happiness, we would call an ever-changing emotion based on circumstance. In fact, the word happy comes from the same root for the word happen or happenstance. So we are happy when something happens. Something good happens and we are happy. If you're a nerd for words and you really want to beef up your vocabulary, you might want to swap out happiness for the more uppity word, whimsy. (laughs) Kids, promise me that sometime this week you will work the word whimsy into conversation. Okay, let's say that you play a board game with your family and you win. Don't say, oh, I'm so happy I won. I am so full of whimsy. (laughs) That's what you're going to say. Adults, you might think when we hear the word happy or happiness, you might think of the Declaration of Independence, which is not inspired scripture, but the authors of that document have said that our Creator has given us rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to that we can agree, we can agree that happiness is a pursuit We chase after happiness, and we can become pretty good at it. We can can find things that make us happy. We can find ourselves happy several times and then unhappy several times all in one day. We might find activities like watching a movie or going for a run, and that makes us happy. Or we might find uh, food. We might seek out certain foods that we really like, and when we eat them, when that happens, we are happy. But the next day, we are hungry again, and often we are hungry for something new, something different. Happiness can be like that, but joy in the biblical sense is different. Now, right at the outset, I want us to avoid two dangers when we're thinking about joy. Number one, we cannot interpret joy as happiness. And number two, our joy cannot be rooted in our works. We're going to look at those one at a time. First, we must not reinterpret joy as happiness. Now, we know that a person could be labeled a happy person and utterly lack the joy of the Lord. On the flip side, a person can have extremely dark days in mourning and weeping, and grieving, and yet they can maintain the joy of the Lord. Now, if you heard that and you said, oh, of course, yes, Ryan, I already, I already knew that. Okay, well, let me challenge you. If you think that that's settled in your head, I'm going to ask you three questions, and let's see how you do. Number one, when you heard that today's topic was joy... Did you expect to feel some sense of conviction or possibly even shame that you aren't happy more often? Number two, I'm guilty of this one. Did you think, why did they ask Ryan to preach on joy? (laughs) 
Wouldn't a better option be somebody who's happy all the time? Or third, and this is probably the most dangerous, do you perceive joy as that satisfied feeling that you get when you do good things that Christians should do? Let me repeat that one. Do you perceive joy as that satisfied feeling you get when you do the good things that Christians should do? Now, why do I say that that's the most dangerous? Because it brings us to our second point. Our joy cannot be rooted in our works. If you're if your joy as a Christian is found, is rooted in that feeling you get when you do uh, the things that believers ought to do, whether it's reading your Bible or whether it's praying for someone or sharing the gospel, if, if your joy is rooted in doing those things, it's possible, catch this, that your joy is rooted in you, rooted in your action. You can ask, you know, are, are, you, are you joyful when you share the gospel or when you read your Bible or when you pray for someone or when you show patience toward your family in a positive way? But then do you see yourself as lacking joy when you fail to do those things, when you don't read your Bible, when you don't pray, when you don't uh, show patience toward your family? If you're rooting your joy in that good feeling, That's not what the Bible calls joy. In fact, it's closer to pride. Your joy isn't dependent upon God. It's dependent upon your ongoing works. I once listened to a pastor by the name of Paul Washer who addressed this understanding of joy and and it it really hit me. He said, when he was talking about this, he said, you know what that is? Idolatry. Oof, that's idolatry. You have become the source of your own joy. So church, if the root of our joy is something shaky, like our own obedience, that's not the joy of the Lord. In fact, it's our own pursuit of happiness. We're chasing after a a feeling that we get which will change based on the day. But if your joy is rooted... If the source of your joy is Jesus himself, his finished work on the cross, his promise that he will forever hold in his hand his people, never to be snatched away, that's the joy of the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. Reading your Bible should stir up joy. Sharing the gospel with someone should stir up joy. Serving your family, loving them well, this should stir up joy. Those moments, dare I say, can even make us happy. This is not an assault on happiness, okay? But we have to ask ourselves, in whom are we rejoicing? So here's the test to see if we truly understand this. Think back on the last week or the last few weeks. Okay, if you, if you read your Bible last week, did you rejoice because that was the sixth day in a row that you've read your Bible and you're doing pretty good? Or 
did you rejoice because in your reading you were reminded that God is abounding in love and perfect in faithfulness? Last week, if you prayed for someone, did you rejoice because you remembered to pray for someone and, and you prayed besides just meals? Or did you rejoice because God hears the prayers of his children and always answers in perfect wisdom? Have you shared the gospel recently with someone? If you did, did you rejoice because this is the third person you've shared the gospel with in the past month and that's really good to, compared to how you did a year ago? Or did you rejoice because God is continuing to draw sinners to himself and the Holy Spirit is at work in this world and none of his people will be lost? In whom are we we rejoicing? We must place our joy in the one who deserves to be celebrated. We should rejoice and even be happy in all of those activities. Okay? But specifically, we need to find our joy in who God is and what Christ has done. Nothing else should be the source of our joy. And anything else, any other source of joy should be called out as idolatry or even our own pursuit of happiness. So what is joy truly? Well, we read James and we noticed that he addressed joy very differently from happiness, didn't he? It didn't sound like joy is pursuing pleasant feelings. In fact, biblically, we're going to define joy this way. Joy is the deep and abiding contentment stirred up by setting our attention and affection on God. That's the joy of the Lord. And these are familiar words at Grace City, aren't they? Often, including this morning, often we include these words in the call to worship. And it makes sense. Because if you submit to that command, if you obey that command to come and set your attention on God, to set your affection on God, if you do that, then you will worship. The temporary thorns and darkness of this world seem to fade when we return our gaze, redirect our attention on Him who loves us. when we remind ourselves of the victory of Jesus over our sin, over death itself, and in our adoption as sons and daughters of God, this stirs up joy within us and causes us to worship. So with that, let's go back to James and read that text again. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that we should meet trials 
through the lens of joy. And that we should rejoice in them, calling trials, it's interesting, he calls trials the testing of your faith. And why should we rejoice? Because of what God will do. That produces a firmness of our faith, a steadfastness, an unshakable person of faith. And when God's work in us is done, we lack nothing. That would be a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to have some joy. You might say, well, that sounds great, but I don't really understand what joy and trials have to do with each other. What place does joy actually have in suffering? And for that, we're going to turn to another lesson that was given by the older brother of James, the Lord Jesus. So, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, it's on page 904. I'm just kidding, that's only if you have the exact same Bible that I have. I think, Jason, you have one like that, right? So, 904? Okay, perfect. That's good. So we're going to be reading the parable of the sower. This is verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Are you picturing this? The whole crowd standing on the beach And Jesus is now in a boat. And he told them many things in parables. These are the words of Jesus. He said, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose... They were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And we don't have to wonder what Jesus meant. Thankfully, he explains exactly what he was teaching when he speaks on the side with his disciples. Move down to verse 18. Jesus explains. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. 
Now, for the purpose of today, when we're focused on joy, I'd like us to review verses 20 and 21 again. Jesus explains, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, then he immediately he falls away. Okay, so in this parable, Jesus uses the rising sun to represent suffering, especially suffering for faith in Christ. The sun scorched the plant that had no root, and it withered away. And Jesus said that this is the person who received the word with joy, but without root, he was unable to withstand the coming trials. But church, let me ask you, what does that very same sun do to the seed in good soil? Well, as with every healthy plant, the sun strengthens the plant and it bears fruit. In other words, for the rootless plant, the heat of the sun was its destruction. But for the plant that was rooted in good soil, the sun's heat was for the good of the plant. And it bore fruit. Same sun. But we have to understand, the key to enduring trials is not trying to bear fruit. That doesn't work. It's staying rooted. And then naturally, just like a plant, we, we bear fruit. The founder of our faith... Jesus is our root. The fruit that we bear will then be of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of our own works. Being rooted in Christ is another way of saying keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, placing all of our faith in Him alone for our eternal life, for our forgiveness, for our righteousness. Remember, we don't rejoice in how well we are following him. We rejoice that we are in him and who he is. James tells us to count it all joy when we meet various trials because the testing of our faith, which we can say the hot sun in the parable, the trials, produces steadfastness. It produces a person of unshakable faith who bears the fruit of the Spirit, but only when one is firmly rooted in Jesus. Now, given that view, couldn't we say that suffering, in some sense, could be a gift in God's wisdom? Now, that sounds odd, doesn't it? But we actually sing about it often at Grace City. One of our most beloved hymns in this place is called 
How firm a foundation. We sing that often. It's a wonderful hymn. And this is one of the verses. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. How appropriate to refer to suffering as fiery trials. And we sing that God's design, just like Jesus and James have taught us, is to strengthen us and even cause us to bear fruit. By the way, the words that we sing, your dross to consume and your gold to refine, is sort of a hint at the goldsmithing profession. I don't know if we have any goldsmiths here. Nice show of hands. Okay. If you have a chance to see, especially like the classic goldsmithing profession, it's, it's really neat to watch. In essence, the, the raw gold material is heated up, extremely hot temperatures until it's liquid, and then the impurities, collectively we would call dross, rise to the top and is skimmed off, and then what we're left with is more purified, more refined gold. In fact, when James uses this phrase, the testing of your faith, that word testing is also used to describe refining, just like we see in gold. Testing of the gold is the heating up and the purifying, removing of the dross, the impurities. So let's put all of these examples together. We, we see the role of heat. We see the value of heat in these different examples. Think back to the case of the plant, okay? In the case of the plant, the heat of the sun was either a destructive force or a source of strengthening, depending on the root. In the case of the gold, the heat is a destructive force to the dross, to the impurities, but is a refining and purifying force for the gold. In the case of the cookies, the heat was destructive to the unstirred ingredients, but would be a necessary component for the well-stirred ingredients, bringing about the delicious treat. And in our case, in the case of the believer, joy must be stirred up. For the believer, we have the promises of God. We have the blessed assurance, our hope in Jesus. But when our focus drifts away from God and toward ourselves, toward our own circumstances, toward this world, then those reasons to rejoice, those promises can go unstirred. They can go unnoticed in our hearts when the joy of the Lord is unstirred or unnoticed, then we can feel like we're going to be ruined by the heat, that we're going to be ruined by the, the suffering, just like the heat of the oven ruined the cookies that were unstirred. 
But I have to clarify something because there, there can be a misunderstanding here. We're not commanded to enjoy the pain and the suffering. We're not commanded to enjoy the pain and suffering. When James says, count it all joy, when you meet these various trials, it's, it's meant to cause us to lift our eyes from the pain and suffering. Our focus goes from our dark present to the bright future and hope that we have in Jesus. We also have to remember that mourning and grieving are not sinful. Mourning and grieving are not sinful. And they don't even run contrary to the command to count it all joy. We may remember that Jesus mourned and wept, and he did so righteously. That was without sin. In fact, we might, we might know that verse well. Some people say, oh, the shortest verse in, you know, in the New Testament is Jesus wept. And in English, that is true. However, the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And the shortest verse in the New Testament is not Jesus wept. In the original Greek, the shortest verse in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. So, when we think of the example we see in Jesus... The presence of sorrow and mourning and weeping don't indicate at all to us that the Holy Spirit is not at work in us producing joy because Jesus did not lack anything. Remember our definition. Joy is the deep and abiding contentment stirred up by setting our attention and affection on God. One beautiful example of seeing this in practice is found in the book of Acts. In, in chapter 5, every, I'll tell you, every time I read this, I am inspired by the perspective of the apostles, their well-placed, appropriate joy. What was going on in Acts 5 is that the apostles had been preaching the gospel the true gospel, that salvation is found in no other name but Jesus and that forgiveness is found in Christ alone. And the Jewish council had them arrested and had them beaten. And when they were released, they were commanded, do not preach this gospel anymore. And how did the apostles respond to that. Acts 5 verse 41 says this about the apostles. Then they left the presence of the council, catch this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Did you catch that? You might say, what? They are rejoicing after being arrested beaten and commanded to stop preaching the gospel? How on earth can you rejoice in that? Well, they weren't rejoicing 
poured the pain, they were rejoicing because their persecution was a physical reminder of their union with Christ. And that is a reason to rejoice. Who can, who can take that joy away when you are reminded that you are one with Christ? The apostles had that. They knew that they were one in Christ, and so is every believer. Holding fast, holding tightly to that unshakable truth should stir up joy in us regardless of the circumstances. And you might say, well, that was the apostles, okay? I know that I'm commanded to count it all joy, but I don't, I don't see myself doing that in times of trouble. And that's why we have to understand this is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of our own works. But I also want to remind us of the entire list, the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. I want to show you something kind of interesting about the role of joy and the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that the Spirit grows this fruit as he conforms us to the image of Christ. And Christ perfectly bears all of the fruit. Joy is a fruit that is grown and stirred up by setting our attention and affection on God. And this is done through Jesus. Now as we look at, do we have the list of all of the fruit of the Spirit? Let's just take a look at that list. Just one sort of action step that we can take when we really aren't sure about stirring up joy within ourselves or when we are too focused on our circumstances. We can pick any one of the fruit listed and just pause and reflect on how Jesus expresses that fruit toward his people. Every one of them. Pick one at random. Pick, go ahead and do that right now in your, in your mind. Just pick one out and then just take a moment and reflect how Jesus expresses that very fruit toward his people. And then let that stir up joy within you because that is the truth. Joy is kind of a unique fruit that way that joy can be stirred up by just thinking and remembering all of the other ones. But, remember, Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God, which means he also does not lack joy. When we can't stir it up in ourselves to count it all joy when we meet various trials, we look to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who endured the harshest of all trials the very wrath of God on behalf of sinners. Did you know something? Through it all, through that crucifixion, he was fueled by joy. He was fueled by joy. Remember what Hebrews said. We, we actually read it this morning. The author of the Hebrews is, is reminding us to persevere. And how do we do that? 
Read verse 2 again. By looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was fueled by joy, wasn't focused on the pain, and is seated at the right hand of God. As we close our time, let me just say this. If you've been granted faith in Jesus, then you know the promises of God, and they are true. Reflect on them to stir up the joy of the Lord. Nurture his word within you, just like the good seed we read about. Nurture that seed so that you are reminded of the promises when trials come, so that you're not shaken, so you don't lose hope, so that you don't wither away like a rootless plant. And we can take our pick of any of the wonderful truths maybe you've memorized over time. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That can stir up joy when we reflect on that. Or John 6.37, when Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Or in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. These can stir up joy. And finally, if we are unable to stir up joy in ourselves because the pain is too great, the suffering is too severe, Brothers and sisters, that is why we must live our lives as believers in a community. The community of believers also serves to stir up joy toward one another when we don't have it in us to just stir that up in ourselves. I'm reminded of a... a, a Scottish pastor by the name of Alistair Begg. Maybe some of you have heard of Alistair Begg. And he once said this, we deplete our joy by forgetting what we should remember and by remembering what we should forget. So I urge you, look to nothing else and no one else to be your source of joy, not even you. Instead, remind yourself who Jesus is, what he has done, and who you are in him. And in our community of believers, toward your born-again brothers and sisters, you're also going to remind one another who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are in him. And then when the tribulations come, maybe even persecutions come, we won't wither. We'll be strengthened, and we will bear the fruit of joy. Let's pray together. Father, we praise your holy name this morning. We rejoice because you did not leave us in our sin, but sent Jesus to be our Savior. We rejoice that you sent us your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to give us 
new hearts. We rejoice, even though this world will give us trouble, that you give us joy to endure that trouble, knowing that our hope is in you and that is unshakable. Father, would you please continue to prompt us in your kindness, prompt us to lean not on ourselves, not on our good works, but on your grace alone for our joy. Would you please strengthen us as we share this wonderful news to a world who does not yet know you. We lift our voices together and we we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ryan.